you can make it back to your seats. Thank you so much for making the mingle part and mix and mingle count. That is awesome. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the ministers here. I oversee the youth group. Where's my youth at? All one, right there. Perfect. And then I <laughs> uh, also have the privilege to team up and support the communities uh, as well as the D groups here at the church. So if you have not met me yet, I would love to meet you. Um, welcome to Every Nation Vancouver. Uh, if this is your church home, so glad to see you. If this is your first time joining us, a very special welcome to you. So, I have been asked to preach tonight. I hope that is okay. Is that okay? Good. Oh, fantastic. Cool. So, how many of you, when you were, when you were in school, you received a bag lunch? Maybe from a parent, made it yourself, whatever. Okay. So, I would receive a bag lunch, and on it, my mom would write a special note. Have you ever seen those? Not from my mom, but have you seen those notes? Okay. And like, they mean something to you, but you don't want anyone to see it. And you're like, wow, she really cares. Now, one thing I realized, though, growing up, she would always write on the bags, but my dad would never write on the bag. But he would speak to me beforehand and say, hey, Matt, have a great day at school. Love you. So now I wonder, like, growing up, what was I to say? What was I to think? Hmm, who loved me more? And who was more important in saying this, mom who wrote it on the bag or dad who verbally said it? Now, that may not make any sense, but when you're older, especially in my life now, it makes complete sense because I say to my wife verbally all the time, I love you, and she responds, I love you. But then, every once in a while, on my birthday or Valentine's Day, I get a card from her, and there's a very special note inside, and it says, Matt, oh, you're such... A good guy, I love you, it's great. Which one do you think I hold on to more? I hold on to those cards. Those are evidence, and those are proof, <laughs> right? Like, hey, hey, you're Matt, look what you wrote. Now, I use this silly illustration to talk about our tension tonight, okay? And our tension tonight is God's word and the prophetic word. If you're joining us here at the church, uh, we have been going through a series called Tensions. And usually when you hear the word tension, you might think, okay, something that goes against and one's going to come out right and one's wrong. So like good and evil, something like that, you know, um, tensions. Or, you know, rock music versus country music. Well, country music's not music, so boom, it fails, okay? So obviously rock music, tension solved, okay? But what we are looking at here are two tensions that we find in Scripture, two things that are positive and that are from God and for the benefit of the believer. But sometimes they can run tension with one another. And I just want to say it to Pastor Greg and to the speaking team, thank you for bringing up these tensions. I think this is fantastic because when we do cross these, well, which one? And I think everyone has been doing a fantastic job. So thank you so much for that and for this opportunity. So what we're going to be looking at tonight is how are these things both for the benefit of the believer? And here's the definitions that I am going to be using. The first, God's word. Here's the definition for God's word. Hopefully you can read that. The 66 books in the Bible that represent God's living and authoritative word that was given to us. Okay? So th this is what the Bible is. If, 
If you don't know much about the Bible, here's what the Bible is. You have 66 books that all point to one person, and that's Jesus Christ. You might say, yeah, that's kind of cool. But no, if you know the miracle of this book, the years that it has been written over, the years that it has stood the test of time, even the authors that came together to write this, they were not the highest of the high. Some of them were the lowest of the low, and God chose them to write this. And not even just in one language. You have three languages. You have Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And they weren't even in the same place. You have over three continents that this book was written. I can't even send a text to my wife and get the same message across. Just one message. Now imagine over a thousand year period or more that this book came to be. So this is a pretty, pretty special document. And to show this, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus even said, it is not good for man to live on bread alone, but by every word of God. If you look for the word scripture, if you look for the word teachings, if you look for the words command, this book is full of them. Just go to Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. I think every verse except for five talk about God's word. This is a very important thing. But then we look at the prophetic word. And here's the working definition that I'm going to be using. And it's this. God bringing something to mind that you would not have thought of in the moment for the sake of upbuilding, encouragement, and constellation. If you have a different definition... Sorry, this is the one I'm using tonight. But if you want to talk afterwards, we can totally do that. But this is where I get it from. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Follow the way, oh, excuse me. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. The one who prophesies edifies the church. So this is the tension that we're going to be looking at tonight, and we are going to be looking through the Bible quite a bit. And so if you are new to the Bible, that's fine. Feel free to grab one in front of you. I made it easy. Most of the verses are going to be on slides. You can pull out your cell phones and look up your fake Bibles. Just kidding. You can look up your Bibles there. I have no opinion on that whatsoever. Uh, you can look up your phone there. And also, if you came here tonight and you do not have a Bible, please come talk to me afterwards. I would love to give you a Bible. That would be awesome for me. But what we're going to be doing, we're going to be going through Genesis chapter 2 all the way to Romans 8 in 20 minutes. Does that work? Is that, maybe 22. Okay, cool. But here's the tension. Or excuse me, here's where the tension may lie for you with these two things. Maybe you were brought up in a denomination or a church that said, you know what, it's scripture only. Sola scriptura, that's the Latin for, the, it's scripture only. So if it's in here, we're going to believe it. But if it comes from another source, we're not going to do that. Maybe you have came from a place where the Bible was actually misused quite a bit. And it was used for the gain of others. And it was used to hurt others. And so, it, you know, the Bible's kind of tricky for you. And you're like, I, I, don't, 
I don't know about that. How, how can I trust that? Or maybe you've come from a place where people would speak on God's behalf to you. And that's where it's more natural. But here, here's where the tension can lie with that. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you're in a Bible study, especially for me, I'm in a Bible study and we're looking at a certain passage and somebody says, oh, this passage here, I feel it saying this. Well, my inner Billy Graham is like, that's, don't feel it. <laughs> that's exactly what it says, you know. Um, but then at the same time, I like Billy Graham, but then at the same time, somebody can speak on behalf of God and say, I sense God is telling me this. And you can either receive that or you can stop that. And sometimes that can be the tension because aren't they both from God? Can't we find that they are both from God? That just with both of those definitions, that this glorifies, edifies, uplifts, comforts those who trust and believe in God. So, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. So just an example, okay? So even if you are not comfortable with scripture, you're not comfortable with a prophetic word, here's a story for you. When I went to Bible college, my first year, I was excited. Well, kind of. My dad made me go. But I was excited to be there. And while I was there, the first day, I met a girl. Hey, it works. This is great. So I talked to her. We were having a good time. And that was it. It was good. And then at the end of the night, she sent her roommate and said, hey, my roommate wants to talk to you on the patio. Sounds good. First day here, I'm in. So I go and I said, hey, I heard you wanted to talk to me. Everything okay? And she goes, yeah, I just wanted you to know, I'm so glad you're here. I'm like, I'm glad I'm here too. She goes, well, no, you don't understand. I've been at this school for three years, and I've been praying for God to send me the right man to marry. And Matt, he has sent him. Awesome. Who is it? <laughs> Matt, it's you. Excuse me. What? It's you. God told me. Okay, I, I know we're at Bible college, but we may be worshiping two different gods here because that God did not tell me that. Okay? Now, you may have those tensions, but what if someone has spoken over your life in a very powerful way in the moment that you needed it and said, in two years' time, this will be happening? Or I sense this in your life and this will be taking place. And you hold on to that. Or someone has quoted you a scripture or a verse and said, you know what? You're like an Abraham. You know what? You're like a Joseph. And they, they give you these words. But then you're kind of in the tension of, I'm so glad you were confident in that. But how can I be confident in that as well? Because sometimes with these, when we speak on behalf of God, whether it be through prophetic word or through his actual word, we must remember that we are human. We are not God. We're just the mouthpiece. And when we speak, if we do not fully represent God well, there can be damage. And maybe you're sitting here tonight. And so this tension is very real for you. Maybe this tension is not real for you because the Bible has not been something in your life that you look to, that you depend on, that you crave after. When people speak on behalf of God, when they feel these urges to you that, no, I've never felt that, so that can't be real. And so you're living in that tension tonight. So you're probably asking the question, well, can I trust it? God's word, the prophetic word, a word from God, can I trust it? 
So with those questions asked tonight, here's what I am not going to do in our time together. I will not be looking at every verse in the Bible that speaks on the Bible, okay? Nor will I be looking at every verse that mentions prophecy or the prophetic word or other spiritual gifts. But what I hope to do tonight with us as a family and with our visitors is to examine the matter of God's word and the prophetic word. Not, not just as an intellectual, excuse me, not just as an intellectual exercise, but as something intensely practical. For if we know about God's word and the prophetic word, but do not test them and use them, then what's, what's the point of having that knowledge? My purpose is not primarily that you will have a theological understanding for these two things. That would be nice, but that's not my main focus. But rather, if you are not a person of God's word or able to receive a blessing from others in God's name, that you would become one tonight. If you are faltering in these things, my prayer is that you would be strengthened after tonight. And if you are going strong in these things, reading God's word, hearing from God, that you will be confirmed and renewed in the faith of these things. Amen? Cool. Let's just pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. Would you please be with us as we look at your word and we listen to your Holy Spirit move in this place? We don't know everyone who is here, but you do. God, would you take over at this moment? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay? So these are two things, or these two things have something in common, and it's this. They both have God speaking. Can you say that with me? They both have God speaking. So why are we looking at this? Well, I want to read a quote to you. Um, this is a guy by the name of Francis Schaeffer, okay? And he's a theologian, and in his book, it's entitled, The Church at the End of the 20th Century, he asked this question. Suppose you woke up one morning and found out that God had removed two things from your personal Bible. So you know where your Bible's at, imagine that. But imagine you woke up and God removed two things from the Bible that you own and that you read. And the two things are this. First, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Second, the reality of prayer or communicating with God. And imagine we would begin to live our lives on the basis of this new Bible. And the question he asks is, would your life be any different? Think about it. If those two things, just those two things were removed from your Bible, would your life be any different? I would even take it a step further. What if we remove the Bible in general? Would your life be any different? But here are three questions that I want to answer tonight. First, how does God speak and does he still do it? Okay, how does God speak and does he still do it? Number two, how do we know it's God if he's speaking? How do we know? And number three, how should we respond? So, does God still speak and how? I think one of the reasons that stop us from having faith in God is that we don't believe we can actually hear him speak. Is it possible to hear God? And if you do hear from his word or one of his followers, how do you know it's true? This can raise a host of questions, but it boils down to the single issue for many. Does it even make sense to listen to God? What we find in Scripture indicates that it does not make sense to listen to God and excuse me. What we find in Scripture indicates that it does make sense to listen to God and respond. And we can make the argument in this way. Persons talk to one another. God is a person, and so is each one of us. Therefore, God talks to us and we listen. 
and we respond. So in this conversation, where do we start? I think we should start with the beginning. Well, who spoke first? Who started the conversation? This is a critical issue or question that will affect how we view listening to God. Does that make sense? We need to know who's speaking, why he spoke. This is going to affect the way that we listen. And I cannot emphasize this enough. I hope that this will be clear as we go along tonight. So we start at the beginning. Who was the first person to speak? I'll wait. It's God, okay? It was God in creation. He said, let there be light, let there be this, etc." And it was good. Have you ever wondered, though, during that creation account, why did God speak? Why didn't he just think everything into existence? Why didn't he just snap his fingers and it was there? Why the emphasis on word? Well, this emphasis is seen all throughout Scripture that we might, that we, excuse me, we see it all through Scripture and we might accidentally take it for granted. And we do so in terms of human existence. Being human is so utterly connected to speaking that to permanently and, thir- and be thoroughly speech- speechless, it's inconceivable. And this connection to speaking in the word is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. For God spoke the world into being, and he speaks to those he created in his image. But let us consider for a moment what it means to be made in the image of God. While God spoke the world into being, when it came time to create mankind, we find a dialogue, a conversation. For while God said, let there be and there was, for the creation of man, it was a little bit different as we see in Genesis chapter 2. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that moves along the ground. What we find is conversation which is consistent with the Christian understanding of God as Trinity, Trinity, three in one. So when we come to the New Testament and we find the word who became flesh, who is that? Jesus is described as the creator of all things. And we read the spirit of God hovering over the waters. Thus, what we have is a conversation between each member of the Trinity when it comes to the creation of man. There is a deliberate word by which God creates. And you might ask, Matt, what is your point? It's this. We are made in the image of God, a dialoguing, conversation-having God. So speaking, conversing, what we do every day is part of what it means to be human. And that means it's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. But when it comes to the dialogue between God and us, God is the one who speaks first. This is crucial. And to drive this home in our time tonight, let me give you a few examples that illustrate this. So if you were raised in the church as a Sunday school kid, you are going to love this, okay? But if you were not raised, that's okay. We are going to cruise through the Old Testament. Are you excited for this? I know you are. Good, good. Can we all be like Nate in this moment? Be a little excited. Thank you. Cool. So what I want to do, remember our question Does God still speak? And if he does, how? I want to look in the Old Testament at a few stories of how God spoke. Does that make sense? Does that sound good? Cool. Let's start with Abraham, the father of faith. The story of Abraham does not happen if God did not call him out of the Ur of Chaldees. In Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go into the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Remember, this is God talking. How awesome is this? And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. And for the next 24 years, we find God speaking to Abraham and Abraham responding. But the incident in chapter 18 is of particular interest to me because it is seen by many in the church as Abraham kind of having a bargaining match with God. But I don't think it's bargaining. I believe it's a conversation that God started, and this is why. We see in chapter 18, we see, excuse me, the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, and two angels come to visit Abraham and visit, excuse me, a visit which which in part involves a repeating of the promise of Isaac. So when the men go to leave, they look down towards Sodom. And here's what it says. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about from Abraham what he has promised him. So what's about to take place here is God is serious about his commands. And Sodom and Gomorrah, they're sinning. They're not listening to God. And so he's about to destroy them. And I don't know how it all comes about, but for some reason, Abraham says, hey, if you find 50 righteous people, will you still destroy them? And God says, no. It's a good conversation. But then Abraham says, what if 45? Now, we would think maybe we're bargaining with God, but I don't think that way. I think that God is talking to his servant. God is talking to his child, and his child is simply responding. Well, Father, what, what if 40? Father, what if 35? Just to see, that, what, what if? What if? And so in that story, we see that God initiated, and Abraham, out of faith, said, I can talk back to God. Now, then there's the fascinating story of Jacob who wrestled with a man all night and in the end gets a promised blessing out of him, okay? Now, we can easily misread this story just as seeing Abraham making a deal with God if we do not understand that the Lord initiated the conversation. In Genesis chapter 2, we are told the story of Jacob, sneaky Jacob, okay? He's cheated his brother and has his brother forgotten? Not at all. In fact, he's bringing 400 men just for Jacob. Jacob is freaking out. But then all of a sudden, as he is preparing, he, Jacob has sent his family away. He's even sent gifts to his brother, but nothing's happening. And so he's waiting there. And all of a sudden, a man begins to wrestle him. Now think of that. A man begins to wrestle him. Now, I don't know if you've been in a fight. If you look at me, you can tell. I've seen my fair share of... <laughs> never, okay? Never. <laughs> <coughs> But if you're in a fight, you can either fight back or you can walk away. Those are your two options. But if you're in a wrestling match, what can you do? All you can do is wrestle. And so Jacob wrestles. 
And in that moment, at the end, yes, he receives a blessing, but he realizes it is God who has been there for Jacob all along. It's not his sneakiness. It's not his deceitfulness. It's not his cleverness. But God has been the one looking out for him all along. Have you ever felt that? That your conversation with God is more like a wrestling match? It's a physical thing. Fascinating. How about the story of Hannah? If you turn to 1 Samuel, you see there's this woman there that has the desire to have children. Now, yes, we get that. But here's the thing. Her husband has two wives. And one can have children, but she cannot. Imagine that. And it says, though, the reason that she cannot have children, that God initiated and closed her womb. Now, you might say, why? Why would God do that? But what was Hannah's response? God, if you give me a son, I will raise him in your name. I will raise him in your courts. I will give him back to you. It's pretty fascinating. God initiated it. And then my final Old Testament example is this. We find in Daniel chapter 9, okay? If you've read the book of Daniel, you get to chapter 7, it's good. You get to chapter 9, it's spooky, okay? We're in the spooky part, okay? Now, Daniel is here. I think we have the verse. It says this. In the first year of Darius, son, <clears throat> excuse me, son of Asherus, a Mede by descendant, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign. I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jeremiah, or excuse me, of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Now here's the thing. I think when we look at those other three examples of Abraham, of Jacob, and Hannah, we want God to speak to us. We want to hear that voice, and all we do is respond. Yes, we'll even take the wrestling match. We, we just want to hear God move first. But here, Daniel, what's he doing? He's reading what? Scripture, the Bible. And so Daniel's a lot like us in this. He reads, and then he responds. And what he is reading is the letter of Jeremiah to those, excuse me, <coughs> to those who were cast in exile in Babylon. And he's reading that God had a plan. If you know Jeremiah chapter 29, you probably know verse 11, right? I know the plans I have for you. Now, here's the thing. That's a good verse to own, but those plans were not for you. <laughs> they, these plans were for the exiles. And Daniel's one of these exiles, and he's reading it as an old man now, and he's reading it and says, whoa, 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 wait. It says that we were supposed to obey God, have no other gods before God. We were supposed to make our homes in this place. We were supposed to be an example to the people here. This is what we were supposed to do, and in 70 years, God would take us out. God would free us. It's been 70 years, and we are not doing that. And so what does Daniel do? He responds in prayer, in tears, in sackcloth and ashes. God, I know you are a God who keeps your word. It's been 70 years. Will you still destroy us? Will you still not free us? 
and he calls out to God in that. So with these examples, in each case, the initiative was God's. And the reason I said that is because I want you to see that God does not only speak in the New Testament, okay? He is speaking all over Scripture. But even today, in each case, the initiative was God's. And then when you move past um, the book of Daniel, you see that God continues to speak through people. These people are called prophets. And the job of the prophets were to tell the children of Israel, God is better. What are you doing? Turn back to God. Turn back to God. And then they would even go on further and predict the future and say, hey, the Messiah is coming. Because we have been disobedient children. God is sending his perfect son who will come to this earth, God in flesh, live a life that we were supposed to live, but we can't do it. And he's going to die in our place, not just for us, but for the world. And you see this in the major and minor prophets. Out of curiosity, do you know why the books are called minor prophets? It's because they're smaller. I went to Bible college for that. So that's it, okay? Because they are smaller. Now, from that time, though, from the major and minor prophets, you have about 400 years until you have the birth of Christ. And why is this? Hebrews chapter 1 explains it this, and now we're in the New Testament. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. There was this pause to say this, it's happening. And when it happens, it's not going to look like what you think. But it's happening. He is coming. Now, this, is not, this scripture is not here to get rid of the gift of prophecy, even though it says, you know, at that time they did it. But no, this is to show the truthfulness and full authority of God's word. How many have heard of Charles Spurgeon? Awesome. Charles Spurgeon is a hero of mine. He was an English particular Baptist preacher. Particular means he was part of the Reformed camp, okay? Um, and he is known by many Christians still and many denominations as the prince of preachers. He could preach. The word of God was his tool. He would preach. But what many people don't know is also about his spiritual prophetic gift. During his sermons, he would pause, look out into the audience and say, there is a man sitting right here who owns a shoe store. But he refuses to close it on Sunday because he believes his business is better than Jesus. He wants to make extra money. Today, he made four pence extra. You are stealing from God. And he would continue. And then after the sermon the man would come up and say, that's me. How did you know that? I, God spoke, and I said it. And he says, okay, I will be here next week in case you say anything else about me. Um, but you, fi you find um, dozens of accounts in Charles Spurgeon's, um, in his journal, of just saying these prophetic moments that came out while he preached. And he has a quote on this that I wanted to, that I wanted to read, and it says this, our personal pathway 
has been so frequently directed contrary to our own design and beyond our own conception by singularly powerful impulses and irresistibly subjective providences that it, excuse me, that it were wanton wickedness, this is old English, wanton wickedness for us to deride the doctrine that God occasionally grants to serve his servants a special and perceptible manifestation of his will for their guidance over and above the strengthening energies of the Holy Spirit and the sacred teaching of the inspired word. What he's saying here is we cannot be foolish enough to think that the God of Scripture who spoke everything into existence, who speaks to his people, who even spoke his word into existence through scribes and through particular people, we cannot even fathom or even think or even suggest that this God would stop speaking. And I love this last line. We would speak discreetly, but we dare say no less. It's a very good Baptist. <laughs> we would speak discreetly, but we dare say no less. We must be careful, but at the same time, if the Spirit is speaking, don't shut up. Speak. Just as I said, we must remember that the Bible, where we find God, is a spiritual book. Most of the people that were in that book, they didn't even have Scripture. They had the Holy Spirit that spoke our scripture into existence. We, and with that same Holy Spirit, we can't even read and understand scripture without him. Have you ever talked to a new believer? I've seen this numerous times. Someone who just, they want nothing to do with the Bible. It's just a bunch of names. It doesn't make sense. It's boring. But after they get saved, what's the one thing they can't put down? It's the Bible. It's alive. Like, did, did you know this is like speaking to us? Yeah, I, I did. I did. And they just keep eating it up and keep reading it. God is still a speaking God. And so today, church, I wonder, what is he telling you today? What has he told you today? And I would ask and I would wonder, why haven't we listened? When he speaks, why haven't we listened? Is it because of the Bible? Uh, that book is just too old. There's other stuff that we can be reading. You know, my friend or my professor, they're pretty smart. We, we, we don't need that book. Or is it because someone gave you a word on behalf of God and you just don't know that person very well? Or you're like, maybe you know them too well? And like, oh, I don't know. But why? Why are we not listening to God? So that's my first point, that God is still a speaking God. And we saw numerous ways of how he speaks. But number two, how do we know if it's God speaking? Here's my first point. God's voice does not sound like your voice. Okay? So how do we know that it's God speaking if we hear something? God's voice does not sound like your voice. But what if someone is speaking on behalf of God and saying that it's from God? Well, we can use the Bible to test it. We see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with content. That word is despise. Do not despise prophecies, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. 
Now, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, this is talking about something different. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 John is talking about test the people. Make sure they are actually from God. But here, in 1 Thessalonians, what Paul is saying is, do not despise prophecy. Don't let that go. Because if God has a word for you, listen. But at the same time, use scripture. See if what that is is true. Hold on to what is good and what is not of God. Let it go. And what will it sound like? It'll be something confirming or it will sound like one of God's motives, something that you have heard before. But God is still speaking. Oh, and I hate this. When God speaks through your enemies, oh, I hate that. When somebody looks at me and says, I have a word for you, I got a word for you too, buddy. <laughs> but you have to listen. And you have to, okay, you know where I'm going with that. Cool, okay. Another way, how can we tell it's God? God will speak to build his kingdom, not yours. God will speak to build his kingdom, not yours. Maybe God has spoken to you to be a blessing to someone's life. And you make a sacrifice and you give away something to them. And you're excited because it's all going well. But then they do something that you didn't expect. They give it away to someone else. No, no, that, that's not what I wanted. But again, it's not to build up your kingdom. It's to build up God's. And he is going to speak to them as well. And the third one, how do we know it's God speaking? Well, God is still speaking because we are not face to face with him yet. I find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, that's Jesus, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So right now, we only know things in part. But when Jesus is before us face to face, these things will cease. But for now, they're still here so that we can hear from God. And my third and final point is this. God still speaks. How do we know it's him? Well, we use his word. We pray to him. We ask for discernment. But we also ask for a heart to receive these. And what's our response? It's our personal testimony. And we find this in Romans 8. And this is where we will conclude. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. As we looked at several characters this evening through scripture, I did not share those to, so that you could pick one of the ways that God spoke and say, oh, I hope he speaks that way to me. No, the reason I shared that was to show that God speaks to individuals. So why would he not speak to you? Why would he not speak to you? And so as we conclude, as we talk about testimony, I want to share a personal testimony with you of where I have failed in this. When I was in Bible college, I was in a prayer circle, and everything was getting pretty spiritual. It was good. But there was this one girl. Every prayer, she would begin by saying, Dear Daddy, Dear Daddy. And my heart, for some reason, was hardening. Why are you calling him daddy? Like, no, it's God. Just say God. It's three letters. Like, come on. And then at the end of prayer, she looked right at me and she goes, I don't know you, but I have a word from daddy. Can I give it to you? And I said, no, you cannot. And she looked at me surprised. And I'm like, no. Yes, I get it. Abba Father, Romans 8. I know this. But did you know he's also God? He spoke you in existence. Can you show some respect? He's a mighty warrior. He's the king of kings. Do you know this? Can we have some reverence for God? And I just went off on her, and then I left. And unfortunately, that was when I was 20 years old. But it wasn't until 2010 that I was on. I'll let you do the math. But 2010... I was on a plane to Israel, going on a trip with my church to Israel. I was so excited. I've read about Israel. I've read God's word. I'm going to see this in action now. But something happened to me on the plane before we even landed in Israel. It was 3 in the morning. We were flying. And all of a sudden, everything was quiet. And I hear down the aisle, do, 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 do. and I look, and it's a little Hebrew boy, about 3 years old, rolling down the aisle. And the only reason he stopped was because he hit the refreshment cart. Now, I tried not to laugh. But I'm like, oh, my goodness, what just happened? And while I'm looking at this kid and seeing if anyone's noticing what's happening, I hear a louder noise. Do, 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 do. And the kid cried, Abba, Abba. And the noise got louder, Abba. And he ran and he picked up the boy. I lost it. I lost it because I realized for over 15 years, Abba, Daddy, had a word from me. And I couldn't take it. And I wouldn't accept it. And there was this nice little Hebrew woman sitting next to me that I woke up. And she goes, what is wrong? Sorry if you, yeah, that's a bad, um, anyway, <laughs> bad accent. But I looked at her, and I said, I, I just realized that God is my father. He's my daddy. I realized this. Someone wanted to speak this to me, and I denied. That is good. Go to sleep. <laughs> but the reason that I share that story is how do you approach to hear God? How do you approach to hear God? Is it through the word? Is it through the word of others? If it's not, though, 
Why not? What has stopped you from doing that? What has stopped you? We're going to end with a few worship songs. But one thing that we're going to do is we're going to have a time of prayer and communion. This is the Lord's Supper. And I invite you to come up. We have two, uh, two sections here. Come up. Um, the bread is underneath the juice. And what this represents, this represents what we just saw, the prophecies foretelling. That God, who speaks, also became flesh. And he took action. And so what we're going to partake in is that, that he came to this earth and he lived a life, a perfect life with the Father in communion, in that conversation on our behalf. But he died a death that was meant for us. Because of our sin, there is there's payment. There's a penalty. But Jesus took that. So if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray. But before we pray, just kind of want to sum this all up. Has God been speaking to you lately? And if not, I would ask, why? Is it because he is not saying what you want to hear? Well, God's voice will not be your voice. Is it because he's using something that maybe you're just not ready for him to use. Maybe that's a person, or it's a circumstance, or it's a situation. But if you've heard anything tonight, what I hope you've heard is a familiar voice, not mine, but the voice of your father, who reminds us why he is the one who can start the conversation. That reminds us why he is worth having a conversation with. We're going to go into a song that's entitled, Do It Again. And it just speaks about what we saw tonight. That God spoke. He's always been speaking. And he's continuing to speak now. What I would ask of us is that we listen, that we come up to the table, that we remember the sacrifice that has been made for us. Because when we look at this, God's word, the prophetic word, we can also look at this as objective versus subjective. But here's the objective. God came when he didn't have to. God sacrificed when he didn't have to. And will you subject yourself to that truth? Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you for who you are. Pray that you would be with us in this time of response. God, would you speak and may we listen. In Jesus' name.